All right, good morning. I uh, just want to echo what we sang just a moment ago, that we need to run to Jesus. We need to know His embrace. Uh, I have been hanging with people all week that need His embrace. And I'm thinking that maybe some of you that I haven't seen this week need His embrace. I want to pray for you. Let's pray. God, we are in awe that You would be the kind of God who would be so up close and personal that we could know You and be known and be embraced by You. And You know the state of every person with us today. You know the anxiety, you know the questions, you know the disappointments, you know the challenges, you know the pain. You also know the victories and the advances. And in every circumstance, we need you. So my friend right now that especially needs a touch or an embrace, I pray that you would bring that to their life right now. There'd be something palpable, something tangible in their experience of you. And we pray that not just for ourselves, we pray that for your sake. We would be careful to let others know what a good God you are and glorify you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, we are going to be reading in just a moment from... Luke chapter 9. So if you have a New Testament and you want to be able to read some of those verses with us, we'll be in Luke chapter 9 as we continue our journey through the Bible. And uh, in recent weeks, as we've just gotten into the New Testament, uh, over 25 of you have made a fresh commitment to read through the New Testament, for which I'm excited. So we're in this uh, New Testament journey together now, and we're, we're looking forward to how God's going to continue to unpack that for us. Uh, my first slide's already up. Well, let me get into that. So, just to let you know what we're talking about today, and we'll try to say it in a phrase, we are in this series talking about the good news that God saves people. And so here's what it's about today. God saves people who are condemned in their sins. That's good news. And not only that, those people that God saves... He uses their saved life in His saving work for other people. Do you follow that? We'll talk more about that in just a minute. So, um, I find it absolutely remarkable that God saved me. I cannot get over the fact that He pursued my life in my condemned state, found me, touched me, stirred me, wooed me, called me, redeemed me, saved me. I just can't get over that. And no, it didn't happen last week. It happened a long time ago. In fact, it happened November 6, 1971. You say, how do you remember all that? It, it just stood out to me in that kind of way. I'm minding my own business. November 6 is a Saturday. 
I'm sitting in my living room. I'm watching television. There's a knock at my door. I've told you this story before. And on the other side of the door, when I open it, is a man that I do not know, but I know who he is. He's a guy that I have seen referee basketball games at my high school. And that's a picture of my high school. Now, I was a little bit curious, what are you doing here? And he takes a minute to introduce himself, John Caldwell, and he asks if he can come in and talk. So I said, well, sure, come on in. So he comes in and he sits down. My mother is in the kitchen doing something. My stepdad's somewhere else in the place. And so we're sitting in my living room and we have a little small talk, mostly about basketball for a few minutes. And then he said, actually, Scott, I came by today to talk to you about Jesus. Could I talk to you about Jesus for a few minutes? And I was like, well, sure. I was not unfriendly to Jesus. <laughs> I was glad to hear something about Jesus. I didn't know what this was all about. So sure, go ahead. And so he takes out of his pocket a little New Testament. And he reads a few verses and says a few things that in essence was this. Scott, you are a sinner and you are condemned in your sin. But God loves you and he wants to forgive you and save you from your condemnation. And if you believe that, and if you will respond to Him by repenting, stopping the direction that you're going, and start going in His direction, following Him, commit yourself to His Lordship. He'll save you. Do you believe that? I said, yeah, I believe that. Is there any reason why you wouldn't want to give your life to Christ today? There was no question. I wanted to do it. I said, sure, I, I would like to do that today. And so we knelt in my living room and we prayed that day for Christ to come into my life, forgive me of my sin, to be my Lord, and for me to follow Him all the days of my life. And I knew in the moment that I prayed, no fireworks, no walls shaking, no earth shaking or anything, but it was just a very simple thing inside of me. I knew something eternal had happened in me in that moment. I was 15 years of age. From that day until this, I have been on a life journey, been doing life with Jesus. Now, I find that absolutely remarkable. You say, why? Because nobody else in my family was a follower of Christ. Nobody else in my extended family with whom we were close and we would hang out and do holidays and all, none of them were Christ followers. They go, wow, you came from a super pagan family. It wasn't that pagan. They were all good people. They were all moral people. They all even attended church every, every now and then, you know, every so often at Christmas or an Easter or something like that. They would go into a church. They believed Jesus lived. They believed that Jesus died on a cross. They believed even that Jesus resurrected. And you go, well, then, Scott, how can you say they were not Christians? Because the Bible says the demons believe mm -hmm. Jesus lived, Jesus died, and Jesus rose again, and not one of them is saved. So the difference is, is that you not only believe He lived, died, and resurrected, but that you believe to the point that you surrender your life to His Lordship. And nobody in my family surrendered their lives to His Lordship. 
They were all their own Lord. They were all calling their own shots, making their own decisions, and they were making a royal mess of it. I've already talked to you about my dysfunctional family. Somebody said, please don't tell us anymore. I know. I know. It's whacked out. And so I'm absolutely amazed that I stand before you today saved, redeemed, forgiven, a child, a son of God, who's done life with Christ for 30 plus years. I'm just amazed at that. Because I was not seeking God. I didn't have big God questions I was hoping I could get answers to. I didn't have mega problems going on in my life. I was like, oh, I just got to find an answer to this problem. I'm just minding my own 15-year-old business watching television. Knock, knock, knock. Enter the kingdom of God. Now, let me kind of turn a page a little bit because I want to, I want to talk for a minute about John Caldwell. Who in the world was that? Well, I already told you he was a basketball referee for a lot of our high school games. As I got to know him later, more fully, I also discovered he was a married guy, had a couple of kids, and he worked for the Light, Gas, and Water Company. He was involved in his church and served in a variety of ways in his church, and that's it. Just an everyday, ordinary, average guy who cared about the kids that he refereed enough that occasionally he felt stirred to go talk to one of them like me and say, can I tell you about Jesus? Remarkable that God would stir a person who doesn't even really know very well this other person, it's just kind of an acquaintance thing, and stir them to the point that they would go over here, knock on a door and say, uh, can I tell you about Jesus? Now, mine is not the only story like that. Some of you have stories like that. And I've asked one of you to come and tell us a little bit about that. So, Nancy, would you come join me? Uh, and let's talk about your story for just a little bit. Some of you have had the privilege to meet Nancy. And me too. And which mic did you want us to use, Jerry? The far one? This one. All right. Nancy is relatively new to our church, uh, just having moved to the Redmond area, and um, works in the in, uh, insurance industry. She's been a part of my small group, so pray for her. That's kind of hard. Yeah. And uh, already begun to get involved in some ministries that are going on around here. And one of the things that you'll be hearing a lot more about in, in the next few weeks is a, a new thing we're going to be looking to get into called Stevens Ministry. She's already interested in that. And, looking to get involved in that. But I've asked you to come tell us a little bit about your story because uh, uh, when you told me some of it, I was just taken with it as much as I'm taken with my own story. And so take us back to when you were a child and some unusual stuff that God kind of did in you uh, toward your mailman. You gave away the ending. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, before I answer your question, let me just say that on those prayer cards a couple weeks back, I put on there, oh, I love the interviews. You've been warned. Okay. Now I'll answer his question. Um, when I was very young, before I even started school, we had a mailman 
that was very special to me. He was back in the day when they pushed those big metal carts. And on the front of the cart is a bar, kind of like on the front of a grocery cart. Well, I decided that bar was for me to ride on. So every day, I, the mail would come, and I'd go running outside to see him. And we would go up and down the blocks in my neighborhood just talking, talking about anything and everything. You know, I'd ask him, how much mail do you have today? And, you know, asked him about his pets and asked him all kinds of things. He was so patient, and he had a, just a, an inner happiness that always shined through. I asked him, I said, how come you're so happy when it's raining out here? Because, see, I even went in the rain. And he, he just said, because it's a great day. You know, he's, he was just always so special. I just, I loved being with him. Nowadays, I'm sure most of you wouldn't let your kids go off with the mailman, but <laughs> I don't know what my father was thinking. But. And every afternoon, after we kind of got done going up and down the streets, he would end up back at our house where his truck was parked. And I didn't ever remember his name. I just made up my own. I called him McGillicuddy. I don't know where I got that, but that's what I called him. And so I just constantly say, hey, McGillicuddy, are we going today? Sure, Nancy, come on, get on the cart, and we'd go. And as I grew up and older, I would see him, you know, as I was coming home from middle school or grade school, and, you know, he'd still be in the neighborhood, and I'd yell across the street and wave, and he'd wave back. So we had this ongoing relationship, but I was getting older, and he wouldn't let me on the card anymore. <laughs> and as I was in high school, I got um, very involved in athletics, and a girlfriend invited me to go to a party. And I thought it was kind of strange that it was a party in the middle of the week. But she said it was for athletes. And I'm thinking, hey, the football team will be there. <laughs> I'll go. And we were sitting in her car out in front of the house that we were going to go to this party at. And I noticed everybody walking in had something in their hands. And it looked like a book. And I asked her, I said, um, what are they taking in there? What's in their hand? She said, Nancy, it's a Bible. It's not a party. It's a Bible study. Oops. Yeah. I said, what? And I said, you lied to me? And she said, I couldn't get you here otherwise. <laughs> she goes, just go in and give it a chance. So I thought, oh, okay. What can, you know, I asked her, I said, how long does it last? But, um, People ask that every Sunday morning. <laughs> so, yeah. so I went inside. When I opened the door, the first person I saw was McGillicuddy. And he looked at me, and we both kind of went, Wow, you're here! And he said, Wow, what an answer to prayer. He said, I've been praying for you. He goes, Come on in. And, you know, I immediately felt the love in that room. Not, well, for each other. But as they sang and worshipped for the love of God. 
And that night I gave my life to Christ and and learned McGillicuddy's real name. It's Ken. But <laughs> kind of like McGillicuddy better. But um, let me ask you to unpack a little bit more because that night you gave your heart to Christ, which is just a loaded mm-hmm. phrase. How did that light kind of come on for you? What exactly happened when you give your heart to Christ? Well, it was a time in my life when my parents were going through a divorce. And it wasn't, divorce wasn't quite as common back then. And I was really searching. I, I wasn't happy. And I wanted to be happy. I knew that other people were happy. Why wasn't I? So I tried to fill that happiness with alcohol and drugs and anything and everything. Um, And some of it good stuff. I threw myself into activities at school. I mean, I did the student government. I did the, you you know, the tennis team and all that kind of stuff. But even the good stuff didn't fill that void in my heart. And after going to Bible study for a few weeks, and hearing more about the relationship idea with God, I knew I wanted that relationship. You know, our family had been the same as yours. It was basically a good family. We went to church on Sundays on the holidays. We prayed on the holidays, but that was about it. But there was never a conversation about a relationship. And knowing and hearing about God giving his son to die on that cross for me. I always thought, okay, it's for the world. No, it was for me. He died for me. And he's forgiven me of all my screw-ups. And he's wiped that slate clean. And I I was so thankful for Mm -hmm. that. And I wanted that slate to be clean. And I wanted to to have that relationship with him and continue to learn about him and and grow with him. And so I accepted him into my life and and I wish I could say it's all been fun and games since, but you know, there's been rough times and Well it hasn't all been fun and games, but it has been um remarkable. I mean yeah. God's done a lot of things in your life and we don't have time to get into a lot of them today, I, I, we're going to have more conversations. But um, one thing I would like for you to respond to, uh, in light of what we're talking about today, so God uses Ken McGillicuddy um, to interact with your life in a special way that ultimately leads you into a relationship with Christ. Mm-hmm. As you reflect on your own life, can you recall, has there been a time that God's used your life to have some kind of drawing effect on somebody else. He has. And in fact, that story is still kind of being written. Um, For the last several years, I have gone down to Oregon every month to visit my mother who is in an assisted living facility. And those drives get old after a while. But um, I loved her dearly, and it was just something I felt I needed to do. And recently, situations for her changed, and she decided she was ready to move to Washington. And I thought, 
great. I'm going to jump on that because I was thinking no more drives. <laughs> so I immediately started searching around here for um, either adult family homes or assisted living facilities. And I asked many of you for recommendations, and I really appreciated that. As I went and looked at them, there were some that were very good and some that I went to the front door and I turned around. I just couldn't put my mom there. And this whole time, God was talking to my heart. I knew what I was supposed to do, but I just kind of kept it in the back of my mind and in my heart and didn't act on it until I just sat down and really listened to him. And he told me, Nancy, your mom's supposed to move in with you. And so I called her and I made the offer, and she was thrilled. That being said, though, I said, Mom, this is all kind of tentative because I haven't told, I don't know what to do about my work. I mean, I work full time, and I want to work, continue to working, and I can't just quit. I mean, I need the income, so I don't know how this is all going to fold out, but I believe in a God that takes care of the details. And... I knew God wanted her in my home. So I thought, okay, God, I, I don't know how this is going to work, but it's up to you. So I sat down with my boss and his boss one day, and I just kind of laid it out there. I said, you know, God has really laid on my heart that my mom is supposed to come live with me, and I need to be her caregiver. And I... I said, I don't know how this is going to work because I need a job and, um, and I like my job here. I don't want to have to quit. Next thing I know, they were talking about how I could work from home. And I was just, wow. Um, I remember my boss said to me, Nancy, are you sure this is something you want to do? And I said, no, I'm not but I'm sure it's something that God wants me to do. And he will figure it out. He goes, well, we can, we can do this. We can handle you working from home and take care of those details. And it was such an answer to prayer. And it was such, um, I think, an opportunity to talk with my bosses about God and coworkers. My coworkers were astonished that... They allowed me to work from home, and I said, well, it's not my negotiation. It's a God thing, because it's beyond something that I even kind of thought about. I, I was shocked, too. And you shouldn't be shocked, but um, how God went about it surprised me. And we continue whenever they say, Nancy, did you get your mom up here? How's things going? I continually try to bring it back to God and say, She's doing great. God has given us kind of the schedule we need to be on. And, you know, and I bring it back to God because I know he's working in their hearts. And I know that he's going to use this situation. So that story still being written. Yes, it is. And you're kind of illustrating how in our normal circumstances where we're just kind of talking about our story with other people, that God allows us to kind of season that with a little salt here and there. And uh, we'll see what happens with your colleagues as well as your bosses. Um, and, and we pray that God does a good thing there. 
Well, it's been a gift for us for you to share your story with us. Uh, say thanks to Nancy for doing that. So, just to reiterate, what we're talking about today is good news. God saves people, saves us, and then uses saved people in His saving work toward others. So we're going to uh, get into the text that uh, will unpack a little bit of that for us today in Luke chapter 9. And so if you have that ready, we can read that along together. So beginning in verse 1, talking about Jesus. And he called the twelve together, and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money. Do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. And whenever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And so they departed and they went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod, the Tetrarch, heard about all that was happening. And he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead. Talking about John the baptizer. By some that it must be Elijah that has appeared. And by others that one of the prophets of old maybe has risen. They're all trying to figure out who Jesus is. So Herod said... Well, John, I beheaded. But who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. Speaking of Jesus. Now leave your Bible open and keep looking back to the text as we uh, begin to unpack some of what's described there. First thing that you want to see is the whole matter of power and authority. Verse 1, Jesus turns to his twelve and he gives them power Power meaning an extraordinary capacity to do something. And in this case, they had power to see people being healed or power to see people being delivered from oppressive spirits or demons. And he not only gave them power, but he gave them authority. That is, the right to use the power that he gave them. Now, friends, that same kind of power and authority continues to happen with uh, followers of Christ today. We take prayer, for example, very seriously around here. And we'll pray for you uh, when you ask us to. We've already referenced today the connection card and that you can indicate something on the back and that'll be confidential to our staff. We will be praying for you when we gather on Monday mornings. In just a few mo minutes when I finish this piece of the talk, we're going to have some praying people in the back and they'll be glad to pray with you for a moment if you just want to slip back there and get prayer and then come back to your seat. So we, we take all that seriously. Why? Because we've seen God do things with prayer. We've seen God heal people. We've seen uh, God bring a provision, whether it was a financial provision or some kind of material uh, provision, uh, some kind of guidance. He's just done special, extraordinary things. We've seen it time and time again. 
But here's what you don't want to miss. He not only gave them power and authority to do extraordinary things, He gave them that power and authority to do extraordinary things for a purpose. And that purpose was the gospel message. So I want you, He said, to proclaim the kingdom of God is at hand. It's near. That is to say, the reign of God, the rule of God, the presence of God, the goodness of God, the saving work of God, all of that is here and now. And it's close. It's near you. You can have it if you want it. And so the whole reason behind the power and authority was to kind of authenticate the rest of the message that, that God will save you. Well, how do you know God will save you? Well, it's the same God that will do this healing here. It's the same God that will do this kind of provision here. It's the same God that will give some guidance here. The way that you've seen God act around you, that's an indicator He will save you if you will turn to Him for that. The kingdom is near. Now, when we start talking about that, all kinds of little pictures may pop in your mind. It certainly did in these ancient people. They had all kinds of uh, visions of this great king with a great throne and a great palace and a great army overthrowing all kinds of political uh, oppressors and so on. But Jesus went on to expound on that later in chapter 17 that we will get to at another reading. But I'm going to leap to it and come back. Where he says, here's what the kingdom of God is. It's not coming in ways that can be observed. It's not going to be a big splash of a palace and a king and a stallion and his army and all that kind of stuff. Nor will they say, hey, look, here it is. Or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. It's in the midst of you. It's in the living room of a 15-year-old. It's on the mailman's postal cart with a little girl. It's in any one of a million different kinds of scenarios coming close to you. Inviting you to enter in. But as we continue in the text, notice that this entire work that Jesus was inviting His disciples into, I'm going to give you power and authority. I'm going to give you this powerful message. I want you to convey the gospel that people will come into the kingdom. But don't mistake the power and authority that I give you as to mean that you've got something, because you don't. This is all spirit-dependent. And to prove that to you, I want you to go without any other kind of resource. Don't take your purse, your, your, your money, uh, your luggage. You just go and depend on me. You look for me to show up. You look for me to guide. You look for me to provide. And I'll show you how all this happens. This was absolutely dependent upon God's Spirit. Now listen. As good a guy as John Caldwell was to come to my house that day and knock on my door and say, can I tell you something about Jesus? It really wouldn't have mattered much unless the Spirit of God took His presence, John's presence and John's words and penetrated my heart with it. Now, how many times had he said to someone else, 
You're a sinner. You're condemned in your sins. But the good news is that God will forgive you if you will surrender to His Lordship. How many times did He say that to someone else? And they go, I don't think so. But in my case, that Spirit penetrated my heart. It divided my heart about that. And I was like, yeah, I want that. Sure. Save me, Lord Jesus. This is absolutely Spirit-dependent. And then see in the last place, when God is at work in this kind of way through His people, it stirs all kinds of Jesus questions. Now, out of Nancy's story a moment ago, I will not be surprised to hear her turn a page and on that next page, the story will read something like this. Somebody will ask her more about Jesus. God has led you to have your mother in your home. God has provided these kinds of things. What? Tell me more about this Jesus. It just provokes Jesus' questions. And it doesn't matter who we're talking about, from the, from the greatest until the least. So we're up there with Herod, the king. And he's like, what, what is this? I keep hearing all these stories about this power display and people being healed and this good news thing. What is, I mean, I know I beheaded John the baptizer, so I know it's not him. I know some others are saying this must be Elijah come back from the dead. But, you know, that's kind of weird. Some other prophet, I don't know. I want to know who this is. It just provokes Jesus-type questions for you to be living in this Jesus-breathed kind of way. Now, this is kind of a preview of coming attractions. Luke chapter 9 is a preview of coming attractions. You turn a page to Luke chapter 10, Jesus does this all over again. Only this time, He didn't just do it with the twelve, He did it with seventy-two. He gives them power and authority, tells them to go out and share the good news, and all over the place, there's not only miracles happening, but people coming to Christ. You fast forward a few more pages to the end of Luke's Gospel, and you get into Luke's second volume called the book of Acts. And he has died, he has been buried, he has resurrected, and now he is meeting with the now 11 disciples. He lost one. And he tells them that you're going to receive power, only it's going to be a more permanent thing. It's not going to be just this little preview of coming attractions. Now you're going to live in that power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria, even to the end of the world. Jerusalem meaning just like right where you are, I'm going to be doing this work in you and through you. And even beyond right where you are with other people that are like you, Judea, I'm going to be bringing a gospel message through you. And then beyond that, like Samaria, where people are very different from who you are, I'm going to be bringing that gospel message through you, even to the ends of the world, all over the place. And you know the rest of the story. Most of you do. A few days later, Pentecost happens. The Spirit of God falls upon all of them. About 3,000 people came to faith and surrendered their lives to the Lordship of Jesus in one day. And over the course of the next few days, about 10,000. And the next thing you know, a movement explodes that goes all around the globe. And friend... From that day to this day, God is doing that same work involving His people in that same way. 
And, and there have what? Been millions and billions that have come to faith in Christ always with God using some other person in their life. That's still His Spirit that does the convicting and the convincing and the calling and the wooing. His Spirit does all that, but He still uses another person. Some person was used in your life for you to come to faith. You've got your own story. And the question is, what story is now being written because of the way He's using your life with someone else that He's calling and reaching toward? What is that story? So, what we're talking about at the heart of it all is, of course, the Gospel being about the sacrifice of Jesus. He paid the price for our sins so we could be forgiven, so we could be reconciled to God. But this is also the Gospel about Jesus' life. Jesus' sacrifice. He's made a way for you. Jesus' life. Here's what He's made the way for. You can have life at a totally different level than what it's been in a fallen, broken, busted world. I've already told you where I've come from. So everything that is about who I am and, and what I experience and what I have is all gospel story. You say, Scott, what are you talking about? Owning a home in the suburbs, having a couple of cars, having a spouse, having a couple of kids, you got the American... No, I'm not talking about the American dream. See, if God had kind of put a call on my life that said, no, I want you to go to a third world country. I want you to live in abject poverty. I want you to be alongside the poor. And I want you to uh, bring gospel message in that kind of context. That's where I would be. And that would be my gospel life, my gospel story. But for reasons that he knows, he said, but I, right now I'm going to have you in a Seattle suburb in the Northwest. And I'm going to be reaching some people there through your life. And so where I live and the traffic patterns in which I live and the relationships that God brings around, all that is gospel, 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 gospel. It's all about Him. It's not about me. It's not about what I have or what I get to do. It's all about Him and the kind of life that He invites us into. So, is this your story? See, we've already tried to make a little clarification. This isn't religious stuff. This isn't morality. Try to be good people. Do good things. This isn't about uh, ritualistic, you know, let's come to church on Sundays and, and, and do ritual things. This is about having a relationship with a living God whereby you are a forgiven person who is saved from condemnation and supernaturally empowered. Supernaturally empowered enabled to partner with God in all that He's doing in this world. Friend, that's life. All this other stuff is trapping. All this other stuff is, is sideshow. Life is doing what God's up to. So, will you? 
Will you surrender to the Lordship of Christ? Not only believe death, burial, and resurrection, but surrender to His Lordship. He calls the shots in your life. You follow Him. You go where He wants you to go. You do what He wants you to do. You become who He wants you to become. Will you make that known publicly? No secret agent stuff. I am a Christ follower. And it comes up in my workplace. It comes up in my social circles. It comes up within my family and extended family. It's a known deal. I, I'm public with that. And of course, one of those ways, one of those early steps of making public your faith that we've been talking about around here is believers' baptism. We're going to have a baptism service in a couple of weeks. Have you taken that step? Have you gone public with Jesus with that? And we share the gospel promise with others. Friend, you can't be a follower of Christ. And the sharing of the gospel promise not happen. It goes with following Him. It's what He is about. And if you're with Him and you're doing life with Him, it's what you're going to be about. Now, I'm not talking about some kind of caricature where you're some kind of religious freak and you're cramming religion down people's throat. No, I'm talking about something that's powerful. Something that's winsome. Something that's inviting. Is that who you are and what you'll be about? Now, we're going to have a few moments of prayer. I'm going to pray for you. And then after I pray for you, we're just going to have a quiet time where you can do some more praying. You can do some more thinking about this. And as I said earlier, we're going to have some praying people in the back. And if you'd like to just go back and say, hey, will you pray for me about this? They'll, they'll pray for you about something for a moment. And after we've had a couple of moments like that, then we're going to have the Lord's Supper together. Let me pray for you. So, God, I want to pray for my friends today. I thank you for who they are for your design on their lives, for your plans to involve them in the eternal story of the gospel. I pray that a friend will be saved today and surrender his life to you. I pray that a friend will commit to go public with you. I pray that many friends will get out of themselves and be about gospel promise sharing with others. And we pray that for our sake and for your glory. Amen. Amen. Just continue to pray for a moment. And if you need someone to pray for you or with you, there's people in the back. Okay? I'll be back in just a minute.